Beautiful. Thank you. I think that's a good note to transition into prayer together before I invite Tom to come. He's going to read our scripture for us this morning. Thank you for sharing. It's so nice to be in this together, isn't it? Thank you for sharing. I'm going to pray, and then, Tom, I'll have you come forward and read our scripture. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all of your blessings there. There are manifold. There's so, so many in such a variety of ways that you bless us. You are good. You are God. You're almighty. And I thank you for each person that you've brought here today. And uh, as we transition our focus to listen to your voice and your word, to hear something, hopefully something clear and helpful and true and good, um, I pray that you would bless our remaining time together and that you would speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tom, if you'll come read our scripture for us today. And if you who are able, if you'll stand for two reasons, as an expression of honor for God's word and to wake back up as I'm about to preach to you. This will make uh, Rhonda happy. Today's uh, scripture reading is from the book of Romans. uh, (laughs) Chapter 13, beginning with verse 8, 8 to 10. And the uh, heading in my Bible says, Fulfilling the Law Through Love. So uh, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Thank you. You may be seated. So I have for you this morning just a simple, uh, brief sermon on just one verse from this passage, and that's verse number 8. Verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Now, there's much to be said about this. There's much to be said about this whole passage. There's much to be said about how this, this idea of owing no one anything except to love each other connects to the previous verses about paying the taxes we owe and paying the revenue we owe and the respect and honor we owe. But uh, I'm not going to say anything about hardly any of that this morning. Uh, some of it is covered in your discussion starters. If you, if you guys are meeting house to house this week, you'll dive into it or you can do it on your own. Um, this morning, I just want to answer this one question. Why do we owe love to each other? It's a strange idea when you think about it. Why do we owe each other love? It's Jesus who did everything for me, not you who did everything for me. So why am I in debt to you to love you? Why are you in debt to each other to love each other? Why are we in debt to even the most unlovely people, even our persecutors? Why do we owe them love? Because it's a strange idea, and I really think that if we can uh, drill down on the answer to it, it will help us to enjoy a more full and more meaningful Thanksgiving this week. Okay, so that's all we're going to tackle. This isn't the only place that we see this idea in the Bible of a love debt that we owe, that we are obligated to love. For example, in 1 John 4.11, John wrote, Dear friends, let us love one another, 
For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then here's the kicker verse. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God loved us in this astonishingly uh, gracious way, we also ought to love one another. That word ought and the word in uh, Romans 8 uh, translated o come from the same word. In the Greek, it comes from a word that means to be indebted, to be obligated in a legal sense. It's a very serious, very stark word. It uh, has been used to cover any kind of debt from financial or legal or even moral and ethical. We owe this to people now because of what Jesus has done for us. We are obligated. We ought to love in a certain way. Um, Meredith mentioned Elias' Thanksgiving play. We sent with Elias to the school uh, a page of mustaches. Mustaches that you peel the back off and you stick onto your upper lip. You may have seen some of them at the Halloween, at the uh, trunk or treat. Elias had one on and I had one on. I think Lillian had one on for a little while. So I sent not just one just for him, but a whole bunch of mustaches. And I told him, it would be nice if you share these. If any of the kids if any of the other kids would like this, it would be nice for you to share that. That's just courtesy. He's got a mustache and a bunch of extra mustaches. It would be courteous of him to share those. That's not what Paul is talking about in Romans. He's not talking about mere courtesy. He's talking about absolute necessity. What Paul is talking about is more like if I sent Elias into a land of starving children with bags of food. If, if I did that, if I sent Elias into this land of starving children with bags of food over his shoulders, I wouldn't say, it would be nice if you'd share some of this food with these folks. I would say, Elias, it is imperative that you share this food with these starving children. You are morally obligated. Once you have this, once I've given this to you and you've received it, you are obligated now. You owe it to these starving children to give it to them. It would be selfish and wrong of you not to. That's more what Paul's getting at. So not just courtesy, obligation. Now Jesus told a story to help illustrate this in Matthew 18, verses 23 through 33. So I'm going to read this whole story to you. So I need you to take a deep breath, focus, and hear Jesus' story that he's going to tell in Matthew 18. His disciples and followers had just been asking him about forgiveness. This is right after... I think as Peter says, well, how many times do I have to forgive somebody who wrongs me? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times, seven times. You remember that? Yeah. This is right after that. He says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, he was brought, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. A talent is like 20 years' wages. So think of 20 years' worth of your earnings, whatever your earnings are. 
That's what one talent is. This guy owed 10,000 talents. So if you make about $30,000 a year, that ends up being around $6 million. If my arithmetic is correct, which is always iffy, but I think it's right. Okay, so this servant owes his master about $6 million. Okay? So, since he, the servant, could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Six million dollars, I forgive your debt. Go. You're free from your debt, your obligation to pay me six million dollars. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. That is about $10,000, I think. Okay, so it's a, it's a good bit of money, but it's nothing compared to $6 million. So the, the servant who just got forgiven $6 million grabs the servant who owes him a couple thousand dollars. Seizing him, he began to choke him like Homer Simpson style choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now when their master, uh, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me? And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And the story ends. So the idea is God has forgiven and lavished such grace undeserved on us should not we now offer that same lavish grace, mercy, love to others? This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what he said at the beginning of that. If you want to know what Christianity is all about, it's about sinners like me and you receiving a crazy amount of grace and forgiveness and love and then being so well stocked with it that we can then go, that we must then go and offer it and give it to others. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. We now, since we have received Jesus Christ, we now have both the obligation and the resources to really, truly love people. Therefore, because of this, we are in a perpetual debt to each other and to all people, to love them. It's not just that it would be nice for us to. We have received so much from our Lord that we are in a perpetual debt to each other in these pews, to that person that you've been just having a hard time with lately. You're in debt to them, to love them, not because of what they've done for you, but because of what Jesus has done for you. Your persecutors, like we read back in earlier in Romans, even the most unlovely people. What has God done for us in Jesus? Earlier I read to you from Ephesians 1 at the very beginning of the service. 
in that passage, God teaches us that in Christ, God chooses you, God chose you, God predestined you for adoption as sons, God redeemed you through Jesus' blood, God forgave your trespasses according to the riches of his grace, God made known to you the mystery of his will. That's why Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So in Christ we receive all this, and as Christians, as we approach Thanksgiving, this is where our mind drifts to. We have been given everything in Jesus. Every spiritual blessing has been lavished upon us. Receiving all that changes you. It fills you up with this supernatural ability to love people and this firm, absolute obligation to do so. Receiving it prompts sharing it. So, you're sitting there thinking, what does this have to do with Thanksgiving exactly? I want you to imagine, this is the last thing I'm going to say to you. I want you to imagine that you, you know a needy family and you just want to bless them. You just want to do something for them. You know that they don't have money for a Thanksgiving meal. So you take an extra day off of work and you go with your money and you buy all the best ingredients and you spend all day slaving and cooking them, preparing them this beautiful four-course Thanksgiving feast. Okay? You've got powder all over your hair. You're tired. I don't know what happens when you cook. I just know that I get to eat it. You're exhausted. All your dishes are filthy dirty. You have worked so hard. You have poured so much care and love into this for these people who cannot pay you back. They don't have the resources. Okay, so you stock it all up in your car. You take all the care to make sure it remains steaming hot and you take it to them at lunchtime on Thanksgiving Day. You, the man of the house comes to the door and you give him all this food. It just keeps coming. You have to make like five trips to bring in this feast for he and his wife and his kids. And he receives all this from you and he says, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for this food. It smells so good. I'm so grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So he takes it all and then you say you're welcome and you leave and you can't help yourself. You peek through the window. So you've heard him say thank you and that was nice. As you peek through the window though, you see his hungry children rushing to the table. They cannot believe the feast that he is able to give to them because of what you gave to him. And you see them get around the table. They're so boisterous. They're so excited. They can hardly stand it. You see them put the servings on the plates. You see the kids just dig in, food all over their faces, laughing, having the best time in the world. So blessed because that man passed on to them what you gave to him. Seeing that family's enjoyment and experience of the gift, that is gratitude. Now imagine if he said, thank you, thank you, thank you, and then you stole a glance in the window and you saw him giving his kids microwave dinners. And then he eats his share of the feast and dumps the rest in the trash can. Hearing thank you is really nice. That was nice. But what you really want to see is him enjoying this gift, him giving this gift to the intended recipients. That is real gratitude. So I think this verse has a lot to do with how we as Christians celebrate Thanksgiving. 
It's one thing for us to say, thank you, God. Thank you for all these gifts and these blessings, these things you've done for us in Christ. He likes that. That's good. But what he really wants to see is us then taking these lavish gifts of Jesus and giving them to people in the form of patience, in the form of forgiveness, in the form of graciousness, in the form of just warmth and kindness. So a Christian Thanksgiving ought to look different from a non-Christian Thanksgiving in that we don't just say thank you. We enjoy this gift of Jesus Christ and we share this gift of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus Christ. I pray for each person in this room that you would fill their heart up to the top with joy and peace and rest as they meditate and remember what you have already accomplished for them in Jesus. That they are forgiven, that they are adopted, that they are cleansed, that they are uh, set on firm ground, that they are given mission and purpose in life, that they are secure, that they are loved. And I pray that being full of that, that they would go and find a million different little practical ways to pass that love on to people. This week, this Thanksgiving week. Maybe this be the fullest, most meaningful, most worshipful Thanksgiving we've ever experienced. For your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.